The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, and as always, I'm deeply appreciative of you, our listeners, for tuning into the show. Today, we welcome back a friend of the pod, friend of Republic Ian, member of our spokesperson team, Jim Tolbert. Jim has a new project he's focused on, founding a political action committee whose mission is to support members of Congress taking meaningful steps on climate change. He's going to tell us what inspired him to make this move and why political donations are an important tool when it comes to outreach to lawmakers. We also get a little Infrastructure Week talk, how could we not, and make a plug for my favorite form of outreach, writing opinion pieces and letters to the editor. And now, my conversation with Jim Tolbert. Welcome back, listeners. As always, it's such a pleasure to be with today's guest, Jim Tolbert, definitely a friend of Republic EN and a friend to many of those who are probably listening. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thanks. Great to be back. So I need to wish you happy re-retirement. Yes, absolutely. What does one do on re-retirement? <laughs> oh, about the same thing that I did on initial retirement, figure out how I can be more active in the climate space. <laughs> hey, we need more people thinking like you, that's for sure. So I know that you, you know, obviously the last time you were on the show, you were managing the um, Citizens Climate Lobby's conservative um, caucus. And I'm just curious to where you're shifting your focus these days as you um, keep busy in re-retirement. Yeah, I am, I am still very much looking to use my voice as a conservative to talk to other people I know and to make sure that, that there are voices out there articulating um, how we can address climate change uh, in a constructive fashion that matches conservative values. I am also really focused on um, continuing to approach members of Congress. I think that the solution needs to involve federal legislation without controlling borders. States have a really hard time of putting meaningful policies in place. And uh, internationally, it's, it's the countries that need to be negotiating with each other. So I view our, our point of leverage as citizens of the United States as, as working with our members of Congress to do something constructive. And the path I've been taking lately is to look at approaching members of Congress as a donor. So in the past, I've spent a lot of time uh, approaching my three members of Congress um, as a constituent and engaging with them and uh, building relationships with them. And I'm now exploring uh, what, how that works different if you're approaching members of Congress as a donor or with groups of donors as opposed to as constituents, slight variation. Well, I am going to hearken back to an episode that we had with um, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, not a conservative, but somebody who is uh, always kind of on the, in those different groups that get created to reach across the aisle and work with other members. And I know that one thing he has n long noted, right, is that there is this lack of 
dollars going into um, either members for fundraising, but also that that it's great for a big company to say, yes, we're going to make climate a priority, but then they're not telling their lobbyists to make climate a priority. And the lobbyists are the ones that are going to the fundraisers and paying money into the PACs and stuff. So I think this is really interesting um, and, and a good way to kind of put your money where your mouth is. It, it is intriguing. The whole, the corporate lobbying is a whole nother uh, side of, of the world that, that is very fascinating. Uh, I've interacted with a lot of local companies and I've interacted with a lot of large companies over the years in my career doing, doing cleanups uh, in my before I retired the first time, I worked with a lot of large uh, chemical and oil and gas companies. And those organizations are very complex when you get into a large publicly traded firm of understanding how to get to the people that are actually communicating with members of Congress. It is oftentimes much simpler when you're dealing with a medium-sized brewery or a local <laughs> restaurant to actually get to the decision maker where the owner of the restaurant or the owner of a local business can speak to their member of Congress uh, but oftentimes, if you're trying to approach uh, a larger company that has a large employment base in your area, it, it is a very complex uh, path to figure out who in the company is, is actually engaging with their members of Congress and then to find any way to leverage uh, to, to try and influence those, the lobbyists within those organizations. So in this effort that you are undertaking, are you... Are you creating a PAC? Is that the official term for what you're trying to do? Or um, how, how are you going about this? Are you putting together a group that other like-minded people can be part of and contribute to? Are you going solo? How is this playing out? Well, like anything I'm going to be involved with, it's not the going solo aspect. Um, as as a, a good friend of, Alex, of mine, Alex Posner's once said, the first question is, how are you going to scale any thought you have? Um, and uh, so the, in, in the political arena, when you're donating to candidates for members of Congress, that organization is called a, a political action committee. There's very specific regulations around it from the Federal Elections Committee. Uh, so uh, we have formed a PAC. A group of us have formed a political action committee specifically there to support members of Congress who we believe will, will take meaningful steps on, uh, on climate. And it is uh, an organization that we are, we are looking for people to come along that are like-minded and, and support with us. Um, any individual can only donate $5,000 to a PAC, so it's not something where you can do it alone because uh, there are limits on, on what you can do as an individual. Um, so we do have, we've, we've formed an organization, Americans for Action on Climate Fund, um, that is uh, both uh, donating directly to candidates that we think uh, that we, we screen and think are going to take meaningful action uh, with some st strategies on how we leverage those donations, as well as bringing other individuals to those candidates to increase their donor base. So are you allowed to name anyone that you're... Um, fund has identified either to donate to in the future or have already made donations to? Yeah, so we are we passed our first FEC filing. So at the end of June, we had to submit our first FEC filing. Um, so this is uh, nothing that's not public. You can look us up on the FEC website and find this. We, at, at that point, we had donated to Senator Murkowski and we had donated to Representative Ted Deutsch. So one Democrat, one Republican, 
Our goal is to split our donations between Republicans and Democrats to signal, put out a strong signal that we think people need to be working across the aisle and having conversations uh, with in unique groups that, that may not traditionally work together because this problem demands that kind of, a, of, of attention. It's like the Noah's Ark rule, which is always one of my favorite rules when you're, for listeners that don't know, when you are drafting legislation or um, it's been applied to caucuses on the Hill, working groups, you only, you have one Democrat and one Republican join at the same time. So if you're looking for co-sponsors, one Republican and one Democrat at the same time, membership to that old um, climate solutions caucus that Mr. Curbelo, Carlos Curbelo used to spearhead with um, Ted Deutsch, um, one of your targets. Um, they had that rule at the time that for every Democrat that came into the caucus, a Republican had to come as well. And and what I like about that is that it inspires, well, it, it keeps the entity from being lopsided. And as you and I both know, it would get lopsided with Democrats, unfortunately. Um, but also, I think it may... It, it makes members speak to each other. And I'm always looking for ways for members to reach across the aisle to talk to one another. So if somebody wants to join, they have to go find that partner. They have to have those conversations. And I think that the more we're actually talking to people as people and not tweeting at them or, you know, making, you know, having the, the filter of a computer or social media, then the deeper the relationship that you're building. And it's harder to be mean to somebody you actually have a relationship with. Absolutely. And, and just to be clear, I, I, I also like the Noah's Ark approach for many things. Um, we're taking a little different approach. We are, we are committing to be bipartisan as a board and in our, in our founding papers. Uh, instead of saying we're going to try and match one for one um, and keep each donation the exact same size, we're committing to some guardrails where we're going to let us, we're going to make sure we're giving um, that each, each party gets at least 30% of the donations and we, we work in this space in the middle with some latitude to say, at some point, we may have a few more Republicans. At some point, we may have a few more Democrats. We're going to take candidates and evaluate them individually, but make sure we're consistently staying in that center space and the center lane that we're, we have some guardrails around and we will hold ourselves in place. Well, I really appreciate that. And, and so what I'm wondering is, are you still hoping, working and hoping for carbon pricing to be the mechanism? Is there any sort of, um, I don't want to use the word litmus test, but is there any, uh, what are your conditions for what makes somebody active on climate change? Is it just the things that they've said? Is it that they've introduced a bill? Do you have some sort of metric that you're looking at? We don't have an individual specific metric um, as, as an initial point. We also don't have uh, Americans for Action on Climate Fund is a little different than the work I've done previously, where we are not only saying we the only solution we think that members of Congress should be talking about or the, the, the critical litmus test that we would have out there is a price on carbon. Um, what we want to do is make sure that members of Congress are putting a serious foot forward uh, we do have a uh, a phrase effective legislation that we that we're flushing out a little bit more on exactly what that means to us. Uh, we don't want just a couple of of uh, incentive policies that will go away after a few years. We want policies that we think are up to the challenge that our country faces and the world change faces as we try and shift our energy generation away from a reliance on the open 
an unlimited disposal away CO2 in the air. Um, and, and that is going to be take significant changes in the structure of how our markets function and how businesses receive incentives in our markets, uh, where suddenly they can no longer dispose of that waste in the air for free, just like they can't dispose of uh, nuclear waste on my property for free or solid waste into the neighbor's lot for free or wastewater into the river for free anymore. Companies are responsible and have to incorporate that in their cost structure and, and have some limitation and boundaries around what they're, what they're able to do. So we are, we are uh, myself, I, I view carbon pricing as a great option. As a, as a uh, political action committee, we are not going out there and saying, uh, that we are we are testing people against a litmus test for a specific policy, so much as having direct conversations with a member of Congress to make sure that we believe they are willing and looking for steps that can be taken that would be effective at addressing the scale of the problem that lies in front of us. So, for example, the Growing Climate Solutions Act, I think, is being heralded recently as a bill that would um, help with the farming community. And we had a farmer on the show, our first episode of season three, who talked a little bit about that bill. And it's really being heralded as, as an example of bipartisanship. And we're seeing it on the infrastructure bill too. And I know it's been infrastructure week for so long now, and maybe it's finally coming to an end soon. But, um, you know, anytime that you have both sides of the aisle working together, you're going to end up with a better product, right? You're going to end up with something that obviously has more buy-in, but also, you know, I'm okay, you know, making that joke about it. It's always infrastructure week. I'm okay when it takes a long time to write a big bill. So I think that the Senate infrastructure bill is 2,700 pages or something. And most people go, oh my gosh. And let me just tell you listeners, if you've never seen a piece of uh, of a bill before it becomes a law when it's in the legislative council format, there are probably like 10 lines on a page. The margins are really big. It's like triple spaced. It has lots of references back to the code. You really have to sit down and, and read it carefully. But so it's still long. I'm not trying to say that it's not significant, but I do think that when you have big issues, you're going to need to have big solutions and we do need to take time and not be hasty. Now, those of us like you and me who have been working on this issue for a long time, I sort of feel like I'm impatient now. I would like to see something big and bold um, come to the table. And of course, carbon pricing would be my preferred approach. Would you say kind of taking off your pack hat for a second and putting your carbon pricing hat on that you feel more or less hopeful that we can get to a bipartisan point on carbon pricing in the near future? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Uh, actually, I, I just on your infrastructure week, the, you know, I hope we get beyond infrastructure week. Um, but there was a very solid working group of Republicans and Democrats that had the courage to work together uh, when there weren't necessarily the incentives from either party to do that. Um, so I do hope people look up who the senators were on both sides of the aisle, no matter where you fit personally, and thank those members of Congress in whatever way is, is appropriate for you to thank them. Um, that, that does take courage to say, I'm going to work on the bipartisan approach uh, when there may be more incentives 
to work on partisan approaches, even if the partisan approaches aren't the ones that could get passed. Sometimes being effective is not incentivized in people's political careers. Um, whether for carbon pricing to be effective right now, I, I do think a really um, unique moment we have and that's in front of us as, as we look at uh, border carbon adjustments and you know, there is, there's motivation, oftentimes the words connect to people um, without people fully understanding all, the, all of what is required to implement it. I think a border carbon adjustment, both the border carbon adjustment and carbon capture are two wonderful words that, are, that fit so well into a price on carbon. Um, without a price on carbon, when you go into order international courts, and say, we want to discourage, we want to put a price on certain countries' products coming into our country, unless you have a material policy in place that you can say, an environmental policy that you can say you're adjusting for, like a price on carbon, uh, those border carbon adjustments will get shot down very quickly in international courts and you won't be able to sustain them. So as the EU starts implementing a border carbon adjustment, and as, as we get a dialogue up saying, you know what, we make steel at a lot lower carbon emissions than other countries do. Um, we wanna incentivize this and, and make sure we're protecting our American jobs and American industries, implementing a price on carbon so that we can have a border carbon adjustment is a, is a great mechanism that can, tribute, can trigger more discussions on what policies do we need so we can actually bring a border carbon adjustment as a way to pressure other countries such as China or Russia or whoever into using, emitting less CO2. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. Yeah, for those who missed our episode on carbon, the carbon border adjustment, um, check out the last second to last episode of season two with Katrina Rourke from the Climate Leadership Council. They just did a, a fantastic case study that shows how much the U.S. steel industry would benefit from the U.S. imposing a carbon border adjustment. And as Jim, you noted, the EU is doing it. And so, yes, we do need their their peas in a pod, right? Or I guess they're that's maybe not the right analogy, but they're, they're both, they're equally important tools in the toolbox. A carbon price, a price on carbon in the U.S. without the border adjustment ends up leading into leakage issues, so carbon leakage. And then the border adjustment without the carbon pricing ends up getting shot down in the, um, by the World Trade Association. So I almost said World Health Association. I was like thinking, no, 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 no. It's not WHO. What is it, Chelsea? Anyway, lots of WHO news lately, it seems. Um, so we really need both is the bottom line. Yeah. I, in fact, I think the other interesting uh, segment, there's so much support out there for carbon capture that the incentives outside, once you take away a tax incentive policy uh, for carbon capture, and sequestration, there is very little market to say we should add an extra cost onto a product that doesn't have the, the, the cost on it, where the, they're going to compete against the exact same product where people just dispose of that waste in the air for free. It's very hard to say there's a long-term reason people would put capital expenditures into large-scale carbon capture and pipelines to get them to injection sites and injection um, without having some kind of market mechanism like a price on carbon to actually make that a sustainable capital investment that, that people think they can recover over the 30-year life cycle of a capital expenditure. 
And I want to go back to what you said a few minutes ago about any listener who is so inclined and looking up who the infrastructure week or infrastructure year um, negotiators in the Senate are. And I know, for example, that Senator Rob Portman from Ohio is on that list. I know that Kristen Sinema from Arizona, a Democrat, is on that list. Um, but look up who they are, and a quick Google search will tell you that. And if you're from their state, then do send them that email or if you want to take to social media. But I think I'm old fashioned, so I like a good letter. <laughs> Members will note that, right? They keep a tally of who is calling and who is writing and what they're saying. And we do need to express that appreciation because we need some group like that, and it may not be the exact same, you know, might, might not be comprised of the same members, but we need something like that if we are going to address climate in a big, comprehensive, um, bipartisan way that has durability. Absolutely. And, and uh, for that matter, uh, another old, good old fashioned way is uh, uh, write a letter to your editor and, and send it in or even throw 600 words at it and turn it into a column and, and submit it uh, on why you think that bipartisan discussion is so important. Uh, I live in North Carolina. Um, and uh, so I have had the privilege of having both of my senators, uh, Senator Burr and Senator Tillis, uh, involved uh, looking at, at how to work across the aisle on getting meaningful legislation that we need in place um, and, uh, you know, holding that to a, uh, a set of values that are a set of priorities that are agreed to on by both sides of the aisle. I feel a little bit like a broken record emphasizing what you just said. And, and it just occurred to me that if I used that description with my kids, I'm not sure they would know what it means, a broken record, <laughs> but because um, I don't think Spotify breaks ever. But when you write a letter to the editor or an op-ed, you know, a 600, you know, four to 600, 500 word opinion piece or short, you know, shorter letter to the editor to your local paper and you mention your lawmakers by name, it will make their daily clips. Every office has a press intern whose job it is to find every mention of their boss in any media outlet. And so it's just one way to know, you know, maybe an email a staff is going to see and it's going to you know, be ticked in a column as you believe this or you believe that, but that letter to the editor or that op-ed is definitely going to get your members' eyes. And, you know, we we need encouragement right now in these kind of hyper-partisan times. We need people to feel that they have the space to come out and and reach these deals. Because I think what you just said, being effective is not always incentivized when you're a lawmaker, and that is too bad. Yeah, you know, another way to use your voice, and this is this is the angle I've been exploring lately, is using your voice as a donor for those that are able to. Um, there's some really interesting, uh, a really interesting study out by Ken Miller at University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and and Brandis Keynes Roan at Princeton, where they evaluated uh, members of Congress's votes on issues where the donors to that members of Congress interests conflicted with the people who voted in their primary elections. So these are the core voters that they listen to when they go out and do polling and found that members of Congress um, really follow, strongly follow the interest of their donors, that um, over half of the votes where they, these interests were in conflict, the member of Congress 
when they vote and when you look at their actual voting record would vote consistent with the donor class as opposed to with the primary constituents that vote for them in the primaries. Um, so I, so it is an intriguing piece of saying uh, that is another area where on in the climate space, uh, we need to make sure that people that are influencing our members of Congress as a donor, make sure that they're tagging that their support for the member of Congress with a message saying one of the reasons I'm supporting you uh, might be because of your bipartisan work, but certainly is also because I really am encouraged by that you might take solid action to address the scope of the problem that lies ahead of us on, in climate change. Jim, if you, send me, if you send me that study, I will link it in our show notes for listeners that want to take a deeper dive on that. And and I'm wondering also if you if you're if Americans for Action on Climate Fund, if you have a website that we do. A, it's our acronym. It's hard to find AFAOCF.org. I'll send you that also. Great. We will link that as well for any listeners that want to get involved. Um, because I think you're right, right? Many talks. It does. And so um, I'm really glad that you're out there doing this. I think it's important. And, you know, maybe at some point, A-F-A-O-C-F. <laughs> maybe some point it'll roll off the tongue. I'll have to practice that a little bit. Maybe at some point you will have some of the might that the chamber and some of the other big um groups with PACs have. <laughs> I'm not sure we're shooting for the power that the Chamber of Commerce has. Um, but, but thank you for thinking we could get there. But it, it is, we're already engaging with a number of offices. And as, as we walk in, it is, uh, we have had very direct conversations uh, with staff and with members of Congress as, as we have engaged and said, we would like to walk beside you and support you over an election cycle. Um, so it is, there, there definitely is an ability there to have meaningful and direct conversations. Well, I'm glad you're out there and I'm glad you're doing this. I'm glad you're only, you know, retired in name only and that you're out there um, hitting the pavement, whether virtually or in real life. And, you know, we wish you all the luck because the work that you do, while not directly, you know, we are not part of the pack, but, you know, as an individual, I I really applaud everything that you're doing and, and the foresight to put this group together and wish you the best of luck. It, it is a large ecosystem, and I'll, I'll just say in, in, in mirroring that, that I really appreciate the work that Republic EN does. Getting our voices out there is so critical. There's items like this podcast and, and presentations and engaging people where they are is such a critical step that, that there is no one piece of action that's going to solve this. It is a bunch of people filling a bunch of different lanes, taking action where they can, that's going to help us get to a solution. Price. It's always so great to talk to Jim Tolbert. It is. Jim is awesome. He is one of the big friends that we have on the Eco Right. Somebody that spent so much of his time and career working, especially given the job that he was doing at Citizens Climate Lobby, which is we all know is I mean, good friends of ours, but lean uh, to the left and to build that conservative caucus that he spent so much, you know, time, energy, sweat doing uh, yeoman's work. For sure. And I have to say that ever since hearing that, you know, this is his 
he he called it he's re-retiring right when he left CCL he's re-retiring but he's not really retiring because now he's making this um political he's co-founded this political action committee and it has me thinking about what my retirement might look like <laughs> and i have to say I don't know that I want to work during my retirement, but you see him and I see others and, oh, Price, I hope we have climate change solved by then because I don't know about you, but I am getting tired. I'm getting tired too. And especially when we get a report out like this week, the latest IPCC report and, you know, to read many of the headlines, one of which uh, just most recently uh, window closing to stop worst effects of climate change. Obviously, stories running Associated Press, Washington Post, all across different newspapers in reporting about the latest IPCC. But it is uh, it it is one where if if you just if you read it and you understand it and you internalize it, you realize, guys, we don't have long. Now is the time. It really is, and. You know, the good news is that we are farther along with the eco right than we were probably when the last report came out. But also it just, you know, and we try really hard to not be alarmist at Republican, but I'm feeling some alarm. I'm feeling the heat. And, you know, we don't have 10 years to get people comfortable with the science, right? The science is here. The science is moving and it's time to like kind of come to the table and start doing stuff. So hopefully we'll see some positive uh, forward motion out of this report. Yeah, but I'm also comforted by, you know, our fearless leader, Bob Inglis, you know, and or our donor update that we put out to the folks that help support us in talking, you know, to them. You know, Bob, obviously, we've talked about it here, too, when Bob came to D.C. for the first time in a while uh, in July. Uh, last month, and you know, one of the things he came back to said to us was, "You know, guys, we we may not be too far away, but you know, we you know, members that he talks to, um, they're coming around. That we're getting closer. We're not there yet, but we are getting closer." And that, uh, when he came back and reported to us as our as our team, that had me really, really excited. For sure. And thank God we have Bob to go to the Hill and talk to people and get that kind of intelligence to sort of keep us going. Yes, 100 percent. All right. Um, We're keeping going by letting you know some of our newest members that we've got this week. Mark W. in Virginia, Frank R. in New Jersey, Gina G. in Louisiana, Marie G. in Kentucky, Dale H. in Washington State. Thank you for standing with us, folks. We need you, republican.org forward slash join. Please stand with you. We power in numbers as we continue to grow the eco-right, Chelsea Anderson. That is right. We need you. We need you to sign up. We need your reviews. We haven't done a review push in a while, Price. Push Come it. On. Push it. Five stars. You know you want to on Apple Podcasts. And when you drop that line, it really helps other people find us. It's super important. It sounds like it's not as it, it certainly is not as important as the IPCC report, but it is important to us to helping others find the show. So just take a second to go on and do that. And you will have my unwavering appreciation and, you know, price will read your review on air. So we haven't made that offer in a while. All right. Who do we have coming up next week? Next week, we are going to talk to Charles Hernick from Citizens for Responsible Energy Solutions, CRESS, big friends of the podcast, 
big fans of the podcast. So really looking forward to talking to Charles. You know, Crest does a lot of great work on the Hill, looking at kind of the other policies. You know, obviously we're very pro price on carbon. They don't work specifically at a price on carbon, but they look at ways to incentivize other clean and renewable energy sources. And they really have their pulse on where a lot of members are. So looking forward to talking to him. We're going to go over Infrastructure Week, the Growing Climate Solutions Act, the Curtis Caucus, kind of anything related to Capitol Hill, Charles and I plan to discuss. Well, we will also let you know next week, we will have a little uh, bump in the recording schedule later this month as we take a week off for Labor Day. But we'll let you know a little bit more about that schedule on next week's episode. And Chelsea, until then, uh, we'll keep fighting the good fight. Again, send us a review, download, listen, subscribe, tell a friend. It's made a pitch one time. We'll make it again. Just tell one friend, whether it's one friend. So, so many you know, <laughs> send them an email with a link. If it's sitting around having a coffee, having a beer, whatever it is, just tell them about the Eco Right Speaks. We need you to spread the love. That's right. Please. It would be like an early birthday <clears throat> present. All right. Until then, we will talk to you next week, Chelsea. Be well. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast, brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.